0: Chapter Seven, Part One of My Life on the Plains. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Before leaving the Platte, I employed two additional interpreters who were familiar with Sioux language. Both were white men, but following the example of many frontiersmen, they had taken unto themselves Indian wives, and each had become the head of a considerable family of half-breeds starting nearly due south from the platte and marching up the canyon which forms a natural gateway through the otherwise almost impassable barrier of bluffs and deep ravines bordering the valley of the platte river we again set out in search of indians the latter are sought after so frequently and found so seldom except when not wanted that scouting parties as a general thing are not overburdened with confidence on beginning an expedition Most of us, however, felt that we were destined to see Indians, an impression probably due to the fact that we had determined to accomplish our purpose, if hard riding and watchfulness could attain this result. Our first day's march brought us to a small stream, a tributary of the Republican River, on whose banks we encamped for the night. Daylight the following morning found us in the saddle and ascending from the valley to the tablelands, we were still in the broken country. On reaching the plateau, overlooking the valley, we found ourselves enveloped in a dense fog, so dense that the sky was not visible, nor was an extended view of the country possible. Had the surface of the plain been, as usual, level and unbroken, we could have pursued our march guided by the unerring compass. But deep, and impassable canyons divided the country in all directions and rendered our further progress impracticable the sun however soon rose high enough to drive away the mist and permitted us to proceed on what might be truly termed our winding way the afternoon on the fourth day we reached the forks of the republican and there we went into camp we were then located about seventy-five miles southeast of fort sedgwick and about the same distance northeast of fort wallace intending to scout the surrounding country thoroughly in search of indians we selected our camp with reference to a sojourn of several days combining among its essential wood water good grazing and last but not least facilities for defense when i parted from general sherman the understanding was that after beating up the country thoroughly about the forks of the republican river i should march my command to fort sedgwick and there i would either see general sherman again or receive further instructions from him circumstances seemed to favor a modification of this plan at least as to marching the entire command to fort sedgwick it was therefore decided to send a trusty officer with a sufficient escort to fort sedgwick with my dispatch and to receive the dispatches which might be intended for me my proposed change of program contemplated a continuous march which might be prolonged twenty days or more to this end additional supplies were necessary the guides all agreed in the statement that when we were then about equidistant from fort wallace on the south and fort sedgwick on the north and either of which the required supplies could be obtained but that while the country between our camp and the former was generally level and unbroken favorable to the movements of our wagon train that between us and fort sedgwick was almost impassable for heavy laden wagons the train then was to go to fort wallace under sufficient escort be loaded with fresh supplies and rejoin us in camp at the same time the officer selected for that mission could proceed to fort sedgwick obtain his dispatch and return major joel a elliott a young officer of great courage and enterprise was selected as bearer of the dispatches to fort sedgwick as the errand was one involving considerable danger required for the round trip a ride of almost two hundred miles through a country which was not only almost unknown but infested by large numbers of hostile indians the major was authorized to arrange the details in accordance with his own judgment knowing that small detachments can move more rapidly than large ones and that he was to depend upon celerity of movement rather than strength of numbers to evade the numerous war parties prowling in that vicinity the major limited the size of his escort to ten picked men and one of the guides all mounted on fleet horses. To elude the watchful eyes of any parties that might be noting our movements it was deemed advisable to set out from camp as soon as it was dark and by making a rapid night ride get beyond the circle of danger. In this way the little party took its departure on the night of the 23rd of June. On the same day our train of wagons set out for Fort Wallace to obtain supplies Colonel West, with one full squadron of cavalry, was ordered to escort the train to Beaver Creek about midway and there halt with one of his companies, while the train under escort of one company commanded by Lt. Robbins should proceed to the fort and return. Colonel West to employ the interval in scouting up and down the Beaver Creek. The train was under the special management of Colonel Cook, who on this occasion was acting in the capacity of a staff officer. While at Fort McPherson and when under the impression that my command upon arriving at Fort Wallace after terminating the scouting expedition, we were then engaged upon would remain in camp for several weeks, I wrote to my wife at Fort Hayes advising her to meet me at Fort Wallace, provided that travel between the two posts was considered safe. I expected her to reach fort wallace before the arrival of the train an escort from my camp and under this impression i sent a letter to her by colonel cook asking her to come to our camp on the republican under escort of the colonel who was an intimate friend of the family i am thus minute in giving these details in order that the events of the succeeding few days may appear in their proper light after the departure of the two detachments which left us in almost opposite directions our camp settled down to the dull and unexciting monotony of waiting patiently for the time when we should welcome our comrades back again and listen to such items of news as they might bring to us little did we imagine that the monotony of idleness was so soon and so abruptly to be broken that night our pickets were posted as usual The horses and mules, after being allowed to graze in the evening, were brought in and securely tethered close to our tents, and the stable guards of the different troops had been assigned to their stations for the night. At half-past eight, the bugler at headquarters sounded the signal for taps, and before the last note had died away, every light in obedience to this command disappeared, and nothing remained to the eye except here and there a faint glimpse of a white tent to indicate the presence of our camp it was just that uncertain period between darkness and daylight on the following morning and i was lying in my tent in the enjoyment of that perfect repose which only camp life offers when a sharp clear crack of a carbine near by brought me to my feet i knew in an instant that the shot came from the picket posted not far from the rear of my camp at the same moment my brother colonel custer who on that occasion was officer of the day and whose duties required him to be particularly on the alert rushed past my tent halting only long enough to show his face through the opening and shout they are here now i did not inquire who we were referring to or how many were included in the word they nor did my informant seem to think it necessary to explain they referred to indians i knew full well had i doubted the brisk fusillade which opened the next moment and the wild war whoop were convincing evidences that in truth they were here ordinarily i must confess to having sufficient regard for the customs and courtesies of life to endeavor to appear in society suitably and appropriately dressed but when the alarm of indians was given and in such a startling manner as to show they were almost in our midst the question was not what shall i wear but what shall i do it has become so common in fact almost a law to describe the costumes worn upon memorable occasions that i may be pardoned if i indulge in a description which i will endeavor to make as brief as the costume itself a modern Jenkins, if desiring to tell the truth, would probably express himself as follows: General Custer, on this occasion, appeared in a beautiful crimson robe, red flannel robe, he knew it, very becoming to his complexion. His hair was worn all natural, and permitted to fall carelessly over his shoulders. In his hand, he carried gracefully a handsome Spencer rifle. It is unnecessary to add that he became the observed of all observers my orderly as was his custom on my retiring had securely tied all the fastenings to my tent and it was usually the work of several minutes to undo this unnecessary labor i had no time to throw away in this manner leaping from my bed i grasped my trusty spencer which was always at my side whether waking or sleeping and with a single dash burst open the tent and hatless as well as shoeless ran to the point where the attack seemed to be concentrated it was sufficiently light to see our enemies and be seen the first shot had brought every man of my command from his tent armed and equipped for battle the indians numbering hundreds were all around the camp evidently intending to surround us while a party of about fifty of their best mounted warriors had by taking advantage of a ravine contrived to approach quite close before being discovered it was the intention of this party to dash through our camp stampede all of our horses which were to be caught up by the parties surrounding us and then finish us at their leisure the picket however discovered the approach of this party and by firing gave timely warning thus frustrating the plan of the indians who almost invariably based their hopes of success upon effecting a surprise my men opened on them such a brisk fire from their carbines that they were glad to withdraw beyond range the picket who gave the alarm was shot down at his post by the indians the entire party galloping over his body and being prevented from scalping him only by the fire from his comrades who dashed out and recovered him he was found to be badly though not mortally wounded by a rifle ball through the body the indians seeing their attempt to surprise us and to stampede our horses had failed then withdrew to a point but little over a mile from us where they congregated and seemed to hold a conference with each other we did not fear any further attack at this time they were satisfied with this attempt and would wait another opportunity it was desirable however that we should learn if possible what tribe our enemies belonged i directed one of our interpreters to advance midway between our camp and the indians to make the signal for holding a parley and in this way ascertain who were the principal chiefs the ordinary manner of opening communications with parties known or supposed to be hostile is to ride towards them in a zigzag manner or ride in a circle the interpreter gave the proper signal and was soon answered by a small party advancing from the main body of the indians to within hailing distance. It was then agreed that I, with six of the officers, should come to the bank of the river, which was about equidistant from my camp and from the point where the Indians had congregated, and there be met by an equal number of leading chiefs. To guard against treachery, I placed most of my command under arms and arranged with the officers left in command that a blast from the bugle should bring assistance to me if required six of the officers and myself taking with us a bugler and an interpreter proceeded on horseback to the designated point dismounting we left our horses in charge of the bugler who was instructed to watch every movement of the indians and upon the first appearance of violence or treachery to sound the advance each of us took our revolvers from their leather cases and stuck them loosely in our belts descending to the river bank we awaited the arrival of the seven chiefs on one side of the river the bank was level and covered with a beautiful green sward while on the opposite side it was broken and thickly covered by willows and tall grass the river itself was at this season of the year and at this distance from its mouth scarcely deserving of the name the seven chiefs soon made their appearances on the opposite bank and after removing their leggings waded across to where we stood imagine our surprise at recognizing as the head chief pawnee killer our friend of the conference of the platte who on that occasion had overwhelmed us with the earnestness of his professions of peace and who after partaking of our hospitality under the guise of friendship and leaving our camp laden with provisions and presents returned to attack and murder us within a fortnight this too without the slightest provocation for surely we had not trespassed against any right of theirs since the exchange of friendly greetings near fort mcpherson pawnee killer and his chiefs met us as if they were quite willing to forgive us for interfering with the success of their intended surprise of our camp in the morning i avoided all reference to what had occurred desiring if possible to learn the locality of their village and their future movements all attempts however to elicit information on these points were skillfully parried the chiefs in turn were anxious to know our plans but we declined to gratify them upon crossing to our side of the river pawnee killer and his companions at once extended their hands and saluted us with the familiar how suspicious of their intentions i kept one hand on my revolver during the continuance of our interview we had had about concluded our conference a young brave completely armed as were all the chiefs emerged from the willows and tall grass on the opposite bank and waded across to where we were greeting us as the others had done nothing was thought of this act until a few moments another brave did the same and so on until four had crossed over and joined our group i then called pawnee killer's attention to the conditions which under we met and told him he was violating his part of the contract he endeavored to turn it off by saying that his young men felt well disposed towards us and came over only to shake hands and say how he was told however that no more of his men must come the conversation was then resumed and continued until another party of warriors was seen preparing to cross from the other side The conduct of these Indians in the morning added to our opinion in general as regarding treachery, convinced us that it would be in the highest degree imprudent to trust ourselves in their power. They already outnumbered us eleven to seven, which were as heavy of odds as I felt disposed to give. We all felt convinced that the coming over of these warriors one by one was but the execution of a preconceived plan whereof we were to become the victims as soon as their advantage in numbers could justify them in attacking us again reminding pawnee killer of the stipulations of our agreement and that while we had observed ours faithfully he had disregarded his i told him that not another warrior of his should cross the river to our side and called his attention to the bugler who stood at the safe distance from us i told him that i would then instruct the bugler Watch the indians who were upon the opposite bank and upon any of them making any movement as if to cross to sound the signal which would bring my entire command to my side in a few moments this satisfied pawnee killer that any further attempt to play us false would only end in his own discomfiture he at once signalled to the indians on the other side to remain where they were nothing definite could be gleaned from the replies of pawnee killer I was satisfied that he and his tribe were contemplating mischief their previous declarations of peaceful intent went for naught their attack on our camp in the morning proved what they would do if able to accomplish their purpose i was extremely anxious however to detain the chiefs near my camp or induce them to locate their village near us and keep up the semblance of at least friendship I was particularly prompted to this desire by the facts that the two detachments which had left my command the previous day would necessarily continue absent several days, and I feared that they might become the victims of an attack from this band if steps were not taken to prevent it. Our anxiety was greatest regarding Major Elliot and his little party of eleven. Our only hope was that the Indians had not become aware of their departure it was fortunate that the major had chosen night as the most favorable time for setting out as to the detachment they have gone with the train to fort wallace we felt less anxious it being sufficiently powerful in numbers to defend itself unless attacked after the detachment became divided at beaver creek finding all efforts to induce pawnee killer to remain with us unavailing i told him that we would march to his village with him this did not seem satisfactory before terminating our interview the chief requested me to make them presents of some sugar coffee and ammunition remembering the use they had made of the latter article in the morning it would not appear strange if i declined to gratify them seeing that nothing was to be gained by prolonging the interview we separated the officers returning to our camp and the indians recrossing the river mounting their ponies and galloping off to the main body which was then nearly two miles distant my command was in readiness to leap into their saddles and i determined to attempt to follow the indians and if possible get near their village they were prepared for this move on our part and the moment we advanced towards them they set off top of their speed we followed as rapidly as our heavier horses could travel But the speed of the Indian's pony on this occasion, as on many others, was too great for that of our horses. A pursuit of a few hours proved our inability to overtake them and we returned to camp. Soon after arriving at camp a small party of Indians was reported in sight in a different direction. Captain Lewis Hamilton, the lineal descendant of Alexander Hamilton, was immediately ordered to take his troop and learn something of their intentions. The Indians resorted to their usual tactics. There were not more than half a dozen to be seen, not enough to appear formidable. These were there as a decoy. Captain Hamilton marched his troops towards the hill on which the Indians had made their appearance, but on arriving at its crest found that they had retired to the next ridge beyond this manoeuvre was repeated several times until the cavalry found itself several miles from the camp the indians then appeared to separate into two parties each going in different directions captain hamilton divided his troop into two detachments sending one detachment under command of my brother after one of the parties while he with twenty-five men continued to follow the other when the two detachments had become so far separated as to be of no assistance to each other the indians developed their scheme suddenly dashing from a ravine as if springing from the earth forty-three indian warriors burst out upon the cavalry letting fly their arrows and filling the air with their wild war-whoops fortunately captain hamilton was an officer of great presence of mind as well as undaunting courage the indians began circling about the troops throwing themselves upon the sides of their ponies and aiming their carbines and arrows over the necks of their well-trained war steeds captain hamilton formed his men in order to defend themselves against the assault of their active enemies the indians displayed unusual boldness sometimes dashing close up to the cavalry and sending in a perfect shower of bullets and arrows fortunately their aim riding as they did at full speed Was necessarily inaccurate at this time we who had remained in the camp were ignorant of what was transpiring dr coates whose acquaintance had been made before had accompanied captain hamilton's command but when the latter was divided the doctor joined the detachment of my brother in some unexplained manner the doctor became separated from both parties and remained so until the sound of the firing attracted him towards Captain Hamilton's party, when within a half a mile of the latter he saw what was transpiring, saw our men in the center and Indians charging and firing from the outside. His first impulse was to push on and endeavor to break through the line of savages, casting his lot with his struggling comrades. This impulse was suddenly nipped in the bud, the indians with their quick watchful eyes had discovered his presence and half a dozen of their best mounted warriors at once galloped towards him happily the doctor was in the direction of camp from captain hamilton's party and comprehending the peril of his situation at a glance turned his horse's head toward the camp and applying the spur freely set out on a ride for life The Indians saw this move, but were not disposed to be deprived of their victim in this way. They were better mounted than the doctor, his only advantage being in the start and the greater object to be obtained. When the race began, he was fully four miles from camp. The day was hot and sultry, the country rough and broken, and his horse somewhat jaded from the effects of the ride in the morning these must have seen immense obstacles in the eyes of a man who was riding for dear life, a false step, a broken girth, or almost any trifle might decide his fate. How often if ever the doctor looked back, I know not. His eyes more probably were strained to catch a glimpse of camp or of assistance accidentally coming to his relief. Neither the one nor the other appeared, his pursuers knowing that their success must be gained soon if at all pressed their fleet ponies forward until they seemed to skim over the surface of the green plain and their shouts of exultation falling clear and louder upon his ear told the doctor that they were surely gaining upon him fortunately our domestic horses until accustomed to their presence are as terrified by indians as by a huge wild beast and will fly from them if not restrained the yells and the approaching indians served no doubt to quicken the energies of the doctor's horse and impelled him to greater efforts to escape so close had the indians succeeded in approaching that they were almost within arrow range and would soon have sent one flying through the doctor's body when to greet the joy of the pursued and the corresponding grief of his pursuers camp suddenly appeared in full view scarcely a mile distant the ponies of the indians had been ridden too hard to justify their riders into venturing near enough to provoke pursuit upon fresh animals sending a parting volley of bullets after the flying doctor they turned about and disappeared the doctor did not slacken his pace on this account however he knew that captain hamilton's party was in peril and that assistance should reach him as soon as possible without tightening rein or sparing spur he came dashing into camp and the first we knew of his presence he had thrown himself from an almost breathless horse and was lying on the ground unable from sheer exhaustion and excitement to utter a word the officers and the men gathered about him in astonishment eager and anxious to hear his story all knew that something far from any ordinary event had transpired to place the doctor in such a condition of mind and body as soon as he had recovered sufficiently to speak he told us that he had left captain hamilton surrounded by a superior force of indians and that he himself had been pursued almost to the borders of the camp this was enough the next moment the bugle rang out the signal to horse and in less time than would be required to describe it horses were saddled and arms ready then there was mounting in hot haste a moment later the command set off at a brisk trot to attempt to rescue their beleaguered comrades persons unfamiliar with cavalry service may mentally inquire why in such of an emergency as this the intended reinforcements were not pushed forward at a rapid gallop but in answer to this it need only be said that we had a ride of at least five miles before us in order to arrive at the point where captain hamilton and his comrades had last been seen and it was absolutely necessary to so husband the powers of our horses as to save them for the real work of conflict End of chapter seven part one